If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Wherever you are, it's somewhere walking straight for you. All you can do is pass it along to someone else. In a world where zombies, ghosts, serial killers, and vampires all exist, it's Nico, Brian, Mike, and Dustin, and they are all that stand between you and the films that could end the world. Welcome to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Review Podcast. Just want to thank all our fans and listeners. I really appreciate all the support. And before we jump into tonight's film review, I just want to give a quick shout out to an interview we dropped earlier this week with the great Eugenie Bondurant. She was in uh, Hunger Games Mockingjay. Uh, she's going to be in the upcoming Conjuring 3, which we're all excited about. Highly recommend you go check that interview out. And a quick shout out to our website, don'tgooutthere.com, where you can find all of our interviews, our episodes, our store, our blog. And our social medias, we have Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for that uh, on those platforms and you'll find us or click the link on our website. And tonight is my film review, uh, my choice. We're picking, I picked It Follows. I'm pretty excited to talk about this movie because I think it's going to be a really good discussion episode. Uh, I like this movie. It's different. It's interesting. It's uh, not your run-of-the-mill you know, slasher, which there's nothing wrong with that, but it's different. I like that. I think uh, this movie is well-made. I think the acting is really good. I do have some stuff I don't like, like the pool scene. The pool scene is terrible, but uh, I do like this movie. Uh, Brian, what do you think? Yeah, so I'm going to be honest and say that this is one of the weirdest movies for me that we've ever done. Um, And I mean that in the sense of uh, I did not like this movie the first time I saw it. Um, I mean, I, I took this thing for face value, for face value. And I mean, you've got to admit that when you say the plot of this out loud, it sounds absolutely, it's, it sounds pretty stupid. <laughs> um, then I don't know, upon like a couple of rewatches for this review, something happened and I did a complete 180 on this movie. Um, you know, there's something, there's just something about it. The fact that it's so different, um, like how it lets you form your own conclusions, basically. Um, I really did more than just honestly start to really appreciate this, but I actually really like this thing now. And you know, I've not done that and flipped like that with any movie that we've reviewed. Um, you know, it's almost like you have to watch this movie more than once. Um, now, obviously, this movie was heavily influenced by the classics, and, and there are a ton of references in this, which I'll go ahead and say, honestly, I think it went over the top with. I mean, you're a unique enough film 
Um, I didn't feel like it needed to be so on the nose with all the references. Um, also, one of the biggest things I'll talk about now, because, you know, I have so much to say kind of during the review, but is the like the not being able to tell what time period it takes place in, like from the cars being all over the place to the technology. I don't like this. This is like a personal thing with me, but I don't really like this in like any movie really that I'm, I'm more of the belief, like own that shit. You know I mean? We understand when we watch Halloween, you know, they didn't have cell phones. They had to run to the neighbors to call for help. That doesn't take me out of it 40 plus years later. So I don't, I don't really see what it matters. I don't even like it when Rob Zombie in Rob Zombie films, but he does at least do a little bit better because it's more subtle. Like this is just so, you know, again, on the nose and over the top with it. Uh, so I hated that part, but the soundtrack's amazing. The musical cues, you know, almost get this 28 weeks vibe later vibe from it. you know, in some parts, I, I keep going back to what maybe turned me off at first, but definitely turns me on now. The fact that it's just different, like it's unique. It uses paranoia just so well with the cinematography like this one definitely has a fan in me now, and I, I'm I'm for one I I'm for one glad that I didn't rate this thing after my very first watch. Uh, again, I'm a very firm believer that this is a multiple watcher. Yeah, so I agree with a lot of what you said. Uh, so let me kind of go through what I have here. First of all, it is the weirdest film we've reviewed uh, that we've reviewed, uh, and the term weird I know will catch a lot of flack, but it is just very strange. It's a very different movie for lack of a better term, um, from anything we've reviewed. Uh, and I know, well, I mean, we've covered, especially the last month and a half, we've covered the spectrum. <laughs> and so uh, there's, you know, been a lot of different kinds of movies, and this is just its own its own deal. Um, there's a lot of subtext here, uh, a lot of metaphor in this film. Uh, there, for whether that be STDs or just sexual assault in general, um, there's a lot of subtext about socioeconomic stuff when they talk about the city of Detroit. That's something this movie also does well is this, the cinematography is fantastic. Uh, it's almost dreamlike, which is fitting, I guess. Um, and what I mean by, you know, you could tell this movie takes place in Detroit. They use it to the film's advantage to me. Uh, you know, other people have talked about that, and I think it kind of shows the different sides of that city. I enjoy that. I think that um, the acting is good, uh, you know, about as good as you can ask for, for for the budget, which I know I'll get into. Uh, but I think they did pretty well with that. I Again, well-made film. I, where I have some problems, and I've talked about this before. Uh, we talked about it off the air, too, and I kind of make the whole joke about, uh, <laughs> about oh, you didn't get it. You're, so you must not – you don't like this movie, so you didn't get it, so you must be a dummy. Um, and I, by the way, that's not me. I got the film. Like I get what it's saying. I, I get the message of the film. Uh, you know, like Brian mentioned, it's very heavily influenced by some eighties and nineties classics, particularly, you know, or hell seventies classics, you know, John McCart, they rip a scene and a half straight off of Halloween, which I appreciate. However, it is over the top with some of its influence that, you know, evil, there's some evil dead stuff in here. There's, which makes sense, you know, given the fact that it takes place in Detroit where the movie debuted for the first time. So I get some of its references, but um, it's over the top, like Brian said. So I have a mixed feeling about this movie, and, and maybe more so than any movie we've done because I can recognize its 
it, it's brilliant as far as technique, as far as message. It's very unique in its delivery. Uh, I, too, don't like how ambiguous everything is. Sometimes we sex happens and we don't know if it's consensual. That happens twice. Um, we That's left kind of open-ended. We don't know who has it, who doesn't have it sometimes. Like, it's very open-ended, and I'm okay with that. But Brian touched on something that really bugged me in this movie, more so than it does in Rob Zombie movies, and that's where and when does this freaking movie take place? Like, I know it's in Detroit, but if you see her in a swimming pool one day, and the next day she's wearing a heavy coat walking down the street with the wind blowing, man, this ain't Florida in November, man. This is... This is Detroit. What 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 time like when is this movie taking place? And I know it's ambiguous on purpose, so I understand it. But again, sorry for rambling, but I really wanted to get into some of that so we could kind of talk about the movie, but I know we, this is a discussion heavy episode. There's just so much to unpack here. This movie is is you know, it's one of those I call Grand's Biscuit where you literally just keep peeling back some of these layers because I do think like uh, now, I think it's done better than a midsummer, but th- there's layers to the you know what the movie's actually trying to say. I do agree with you, Nico. I'm gonna spoil that right now. I hate that pool scene. Uh, I think it's long for no reason. I think the paranoia, which you touched on, Brian, is good, but man, I have some big problems with that scene right there. But um, I'll save it for when we talk about it. I'm excited to talk about it though because. I I keep flip-flopping on, do I actually like this movie or do I appreciate the movie? It's a very, and there is a fine line there, so. Well, you talked about the the being ambiguous with the time period. I mean, it's like, it's almost like it was just trying to be too cute. You know, it's like, here's a TV with antennas and then here's a updated clam, you know, super fancy, you know, uh, uh, Kindle. So it's like, Right, I, you know, yeah. it's right. it's like you're doing it. It was doing it too much on purpose. Like, you know, and it's just here's a car from the '70s, and then here's a car from the '90s, and it's like it's just it, it was too much to me. It was just almost like trying to be trying to be cutting edge or trying to be, you know, you can't place me and you won't be able to place me in 20 years. Well, newsflash, we'll be able to place you in 20 years the same way that we can place Halloween in 40 years ago. And it, guess what? It doesn't matter. And so I just I, I just think it just went over the top. All right, y'all got any more opening thoughts before we jump into the scene by scene? All right, let's do it. All right, the film starts with a shot in a suburban neighborhood. It pans to a young lady running out of a house with like skimpy clothes on and heels on in a panic. A neighbor asks if she needs help, but Annie refuses. Her dad asks if she's okay, and she takes off running very impressively in heels. She runs inside her house while an awesome score plays. She runs back outside and gets in her car and drives away. She speeds away, avoiding all calls, and she stops at a beach. She sits on the beach with her car's headlights beaming on her. She tells her dad on the phone that she loves him and she's sorry for being a shit at times. Next day, she's found dead on the beach with her leg completely snapped back. Now we're at Jay's house and she's enjoying... I don't know why, but her there's being in an above ground pool. Just I liked it. Now we're at Jay's house, and she's enjoying her above ground pool. Her sister tells her that Yara and Paul are here if she wants to watch a movie, but she has a date tonight. She catches two young neighbor kids peeping, tomming her in the pool. 
She goes inside, and the three are watching a black-and-white film on a tube TV. She now asks Yara what she's reading on this clamshell, like Brian mentioned, the clamshell, I don't know, like a Kindle-like thing. Uh, Yara lets a fart rip now on someone else's furniture. Like, what's wrong with you, Yara? It's not your house. Uh, Jay is hey, upstairs that's funny. now. I stayed at Nico's one time and ripped a bunch, so anyway. <laughs> it's all good. I don't even sit on that couch. Uh, Jay is upstairs now getting dressed for a date tonight. She, I wrote, all right, his name goes from Hugh to Jeff, but he's Jeff in all my notes. Uh, she and Jeff are in line at the theater now playing a game where you pick another person to swap lives with and they have to guess who you choose. She guesses wrong and he reveals he chose this little boy. How cool would it be to have your whole life ahead of you? Total freedom. They're in their seats now and Jay picks her person now. Jeff says, the girl in the yellow dress, but Jess can't see her. He points at her and Jay thinks he's teasing her. Jeff says he feels bad and asks to leave. Jay is confused and Jeff says he feels better outside. The two drive away now and go to a diner. Next day, Jay and Kelly walk the neighborhood and Jay tells her how weird Jeff was last night. The girls walk past Greg's house as he washes his station wagon. It's nighttime now and we see Jay and Jeff walking through the woods and they lie, they lie by the waves crashing onto a beach and they start to kiss. Jay asks to go back to the car where they have sex. Jeff gets out of the car and goes to the trunk as Jay lays across the back seat. She tells Jeff about daydreaming about, uh, daydreaming about being old enough to date and hang out with her friends. Jeff gets back in the car and puts a rag with chloroform over her face, causing her to, to black out. Jeff looks, I wrote, Jeff looks disheartened that he did it. Inside an abandoned parking garage, it seems Jay is bound inside a wheelchair. She awakes and Jeff says he's not going to hurt her and not to worry. He has something important to tell her and to believe him. This thing is going to follow you. Somebody gave it to me and I pass it on to you in the car. It can look like a stranger or someone you know. She sh she shakes and yells for help. Sometimes it'll look like someone you love to hurt you. We see Jeff looking around. He says he sees it. He pushes the wheelchair to the edge and we see a naked woman walking towards them. Who is it? She asks. He says get rid of it by sleeping with someone. And if it kills her, it comes back after him. He wants Jay to know it's real as he flashes the light on her. He pushes her in the wheelchair back to the car. Never be in a place with one exit as they drive away. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> there's a lot to unpack here in that set of scenes that you just read. You know, kind of like Brian said, if you watch this oh, the no first doubt. time, if you watch this on, for, on the first time and you take this at face value, this already seems kind of out of, out of left field and weird. And But I like I like that about the about the set of scenes. Again, I kind of mentioned the cinematography. It's shot like a dream, but it's not so over the top with that lucid feeling where it's a it's not like some of the scenes in Inception where I mean this is just kind of like a a moody atmosphere, you know, like a moody atmosphere. You know, we kind of talked about what makes some of those horror classics great and it's the mood, the tension, the atmosphere and like we talked about this movie takes from the classics in that way. And that's a good thing. Um, it uses the score to perfection. That is one thing this movie does so well is the music. It's very John Carpenter influenced, no matter what anyone else wants to say, this not only sounds like Halloween stuff, this sounds like, uh, some, not they live, but they're, uh, Jesus Christ. I'm John. Oh yeah, no, it's, they live. There's some, I mean, John Carpenter is just known for his symphonic sound. It sounds a lot like the 1982 
1981 Halloween 2 score than it does the original because it has that 80s symphonic sound in there. But uh, I love the music in this movie, and you get a lot of that. And, uh, right off, and yeah, my, go ahead. And my, well, you, you, I think, were the one that actually brought this up like 100, what, 14, 15 episodes ago when we did Halloween 78. And you, you, I think, referred to the music as it's being its own character. Yeah. And like, that's exactly how it is here, too. I mean, like it lets you know, lets you know the tension's coming, lets you know how you're supposed to feel in certain scenes. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But I, but you're, I think it's exactly the same thing. It's its own character. Sorry, I didn't mean to butt in there. Oh, no, absolutely. And you're right because they do the same. This is very around the time. It's a couple of years before, obviously, but this is hereditary does the same thing where the music and noises are their own character. They kind of use it to play off of the characters that are in the movie. So I, I agree with you 100%. Um, so just talking about the scenes, again, this was a hard movie to write stuff down for when it came to like actual scenes taking place. Uh, because, again, it's kind of a – it's an independent horror movie. Um, but I, I, I'll say this. The opening scene to me kind of is a, is a little out of left field. I know you kind of have to establish – it and what it is kind well kind of anyway you never really do but uh <laughs> um you know you get the the girl with the on the beach with her legs snapped you're kind of like oh what's this you you know you, you at least have some intrigue there um i like our main characters i think it's kind of a nerdy group of friends in a good way like a charming way uh everybody i know this is not so up to speed up in 2021 but everyone at that age was peeping tom through the fence at someone just saying, it's kind of the way it went. He had the older girl that was in high school. You were in elementary school. You're peeking through the, the little spot, man. That's just the way it is, whether you – hey, just being honest. Uh, I mean, haven't you ever seen The Sandlot? Come on, man. Uh, but, no, I, I – listen. Uh, again, you get – so I I go back and forth on whether I like the character of Hugh Jeff. Hugh Jeff? Jeff Hugh? Hugh Jeff. Whatever. Yeah. Hugh, Hugh Jeff. Jeff. Uh, you know, but – and obviously he's not a likable guy because he, he kind of spreads it to uh, Jay. But my thing with that is he's so shades of gray because I feel like he's in an unwinnable situation. The sex was consensual, of course, or, or that's what we see anyway. Uh, now. Well, still, well, she tells the police the same thing. I mean, she tells right, the police right. that it is consensual. However, she, I think they, right. And I think, well, I think they put that in there specifically so it's not confusing. Right. Like, right. You know, so you don't well, think that it was rape. That's well, later, well, later in the movie, we get one that I don't know if it's a dream or not. Like, I, I have no idea. Uh, uh-oh. Uh, but, um, yeah, so, again, he's just kind of – he's he's living in paranoia. He's passing this on. And I one thing this set of scenes establishes really well early on is a, a word I've already said, a word that Brian mentioned off the top, paranoia. This movie gets the – the whole time you're kind of like feeling, you're feeling icky or something. Like, I don't know. Like the whole time you watch it, the characters are feeling icky. You're feeling icky. And it's just like a constant state of paranoia. The garage scene is well shot. I love the lighting there. It's really well done. It's dark, which again, I normally nitpick at, but it's dark in a good way. You get the solo light on the, on the naked middle-aged woman who ends up playing a role later, which is again, this movie is very strange how everything ties into each other. A lot of loose ends, but that's okay. Um, but no, I'm just this scene is well acted by 
about Jay, the, uh, the woman who plays Jay, which I'm sure one of you has the name of. But uh, I just, it's so well done. Her like, her screams aren't like shriek over the top 1987 prom night sh- shriek. It's very very good. It's it's you know the crying the everything. It's so well done, and I love I I like to set the scene because of what it establishes more so than the than the scenes themselves. Again, this is. We talked about the ring last week. This is not a fun watch. There's nothing fun about watching this movie. There, it, it's literally zero fun, sir, as they say in Remember the Titans. But it is intriguing, and off this set of scenes, I'm very intrigued. Yeah, I, I, Nico talking about the above-ground pool reminded me of that Mitch Hedberg joke where he says, I saw a commercial for an above-ground pool. It was 30 seconds long because that's the maximum amount of time you can picture yourself having fun in an above-ground pool. (laughs) Which is true, except for... Okay, so I didn't look this up, and maybe somebody else did, but that just had to be a location thing on purpose. Like, clearly everyone in this movie, at this group of friends, is middle class and below. So an above-ground pool, that's a freaking luxury, man. I wish I had an above-ground pool when I was a kid. Yeah. Well, and okay, so at the beginning, I'm not sure if it's a nod or if I was just looking for things, but it sure looked like the numbers on the house were 1428. So I assume that that was a nod to Elm Street if it was. And um, Apparently, even Annie's name here is a nod to Annie Brackett in Halloween. Um, and of course, the you know, the music we touched on that that shot uh, from the back seat of the of Annie's car stood out to me as definitely something different, which. I know that David Robert Mitchell used the cinematography in this to like always make you uncomfortable, um, always set up that tension like we talked about and keep it going the entire film. Props to him. Again, it was very different, uh, unique. I'll probably use those words a lot during this review. Um, Great effects, I thought, on Annie's leg. Uh, I I almost would have, I mean, even if you didn't show it, um, even if you just pan off of her to the ocean and maybe you hear her dying, uh, maybe hear the leg break. Um, I, I think that would have been more effective, uh, in my opinion, something I would have changed. Um, the dialogue, though, between Jay and I think that was her sister, Kelly, I thought it was cringy. Honestly, it wasn't very good exchange of dialogue at all. And, and again, no offense to the actors there. I couldn't do it. Um, I will give props to the casting, though. And, and, and it does get better, the dialogue between the two. But Lily Sepp and uh, Macon Monroe, I don't know if I've said that right or not, but they definitely look like they could be sisters. I, I thought that was very good casting. Um, you know, another fun fact, Jay is actually short for Jamie, uh, which was a tribute to Jamie Lee Curtis. And uh, and her sister Kelly is named because Jamie Lee Curtis also has a sister named Kelly. So, um, but, you know, we talked about this pool scene. That whole pool scene for me, I know you're trying to establish a character and not jump so much into it, but I hated the music there for one thing. I almost would have just rather no soundtrack or something. I don't know, but it was a little bit off to me. Um, I, I did really like the simple exchange between the group, um, you know, with uh, with Jay, Jay and Paul. I couldn't, I can't remember Jay's name. Uh, with Jay and Paul and then Yara, um, it has that really '80s group friends vibe, you know, that Mike kind of touched on. It really feels real, and I really liked that. Um, the movie theater scene I loved because you know it made me feel uncomfortable, or it made me feel comfortable for just a minute, like before it's just hitting you with that tension um, over that girl in the yellow dress. But, but uh, I like how it didn't show you what he was seeing yet. You know, it kind of held that off. I really did like that. Um, 
the dinner scene with them, another example of great cinematography where like the shot isn't centered in the screen. And he does this a lot. Like it's, it's off to the side. So you as that audience member continue to kind of look around and, and feel that paranoia starting to sit in with yourself, um, you know, like it does with them. Uh, that, you know, we touched on this. I think this is the scene Michael was talking about being completely lifted from Halloween. That walk and talk scene with Jay and Kelly lifted almost exactly from Halloween. This is one of those scenes I felt like it took me out because it was almost so exact. It was just too much on the nose for me. Um, I mean, I get, I get, you know, throwing it a bone and like kind of hinting and th- showing it homage, but, but that's just, it was just too exact. Um, I love the lack of soundtrack when, when Hugh Jeff, uh, chloroforms her, you know, you get this just sweet story from her about riding in the car and then bam, you're just left with like, what the fuck? But I did, I did write down, I did have to wonder like, my man, you can't get this across without tying her up to a fucking wheelchair. Like you can't just sit down and have a normal fucking conversation with her like at all. Um, all in all good opening. A lot happened in this group of scenes. Um, some I think maybe could have been cut and, Pool scene for one, you might have been able to do that, but all in all, very good, solid open. We're at Jay's house. The other three play cards on the porch. Yara says Jay is so pretty, it's annoying. Jeff's car stops right in front of the house, and he gets out and drops her in the street. Kelly asks if everything is okay. Jeff speeds away, and we see Jay stumble in her yard, half dressed. Over at Greg's house, he looks out the window, and they comment that those people are such a mess. The cops asked Jay if it was consensual and about the woman who was following. She says she knows where his house is but has never been inside. Jay's at the hospital now and we see the cops scoping out where they were the previous night. Jay's mom and another woman ask about her encounter and if she's caught anything and we see Jay in the bathroom. She's in her underwear and she looks to see if she's got any type of, you know, like STD symptoms, I guess. She gets a scare from a kickball thrown into her window. And we see a kid on the roof by the window as it cuts into Jay at school now. She listens to the lecture somewhat and she looks out the window and we see an old woman, an old woman approaching the building slowly. Jay starts to panic and she gathers her things and storms out of class. She's in the hallway and we see the woman in the hall now. Jay calls for her, but the other, the other two girls in the hall can't see the old woman. Jay runs outside to her car and leaves. Jay gets to Kelly and Paul's job and gets some ice cream and tells them about the old woman at school. She tells him about what Jeff said to her about being followed. She doesn't know what it is following her. Paul volunteers to stay over and help monitor. Paul ignores Kelly's insults as Paul says he'll stay up all night to watch out for anything weird. That night, Kelly and Jay are brushing their teeth while Yara clips her toenails on the toilet and eats Twizzlers. (laughs) I just wrote, she's gross. Jay goes downstairs to sit on the couch with Paul. She can't sleep. Paul tells her everything's going to be cool and they reminisce since last time he stayed the night with them and he likes spending time with her. They watch more TV and Jay says he was her first kiss and then he kissed Kelly. Now they talk about finding porno magazines and they share laughs. Then we hear a window breaking noise in the house. Jay instantly gets scared. Broken window in kitchen, but no one's there, Paul says. Paul goes to tell Kelly and Jay creeps through the house. She sees a half a half naked woman pissing all over herself, creeping towards her. Jay screams and runs away, crashing into tables. She runs upstairs into her room, terrified. A knock at the door, and it's Paul and Kelly. It's in the house, she says. Paul says, open the door, and he'll protect her. Nothing is out here. Uh, go ahead, Brian. That's the next two scenes I got. 
I kind of split up that that bedroom scene. Yeah, so so that little comment about Jay when they're playing cards, like definitely leads you to think or assume that Jay's a little promiscuous, which is I would like to point out is definitely a different change from, you know, our other horror movies where the lead is a, you know, a Laurie or a Sydney or even a Nancy, you know, where there are these virgins who are the complete opposite of that. So so that was definitely a noticeable welcome change. Um, it's definitely more real life. Um, you know, I, I love the shot from the neighbor's house as they saw the cops and everything happening from, from that perspective. Um, again, a new version of that shot that we've seen a million times with the victim and the cops, but but we've never seen it from that perspective. I, I really, I loved it. I loved that shot. Um, I thought it was a another great take on an old shot is that shot of her in the classroom, you know, the, the Lori seeing Michael shot that we've seen a million times, but, but you get this like 360 one take shot first with like no cuts before it shows you Jay looking out the window. And then you don't get him disappearing on the second or third look. Like you get this tension building up more and more as, as the old lady gets closer with that music. I, I loved it. Um, I like how they never show you the mom's face, uh, apparently that was on purpose, but it, you know, it kind of gives it more of a Snoopy vibe maybe, but where it like differs from something like, you know, Elm street or stranger things where the adults like really not a takeaway, but are more included, I guess, in the plot. And, you know, and they, they're the, they aren't the focus here, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And, you know, it's, it's the kids and it's how the kids deal with the problem. Um, but every scene she appears in, you know, her face is like either completely covered or out of focus. Um, it's just a nice little subliminal touch um, from the director there. Um, I think the scene with Paul and Jay, uh, I think it's good that they're trying to establish that bond with them. Um, I'm not a fan of Paul because personally, he honestly looks like exactly like this kid that I hated growing up. So not his fault, but mm, sorry, he's, he's <laughs> that's strike one, two and three with me. I already don't like this kid, but uh I will say it did establish that bond, um, even if the whole dialogue was a little bit spotty. Um, you know, and lastly, like, so the girl, it, you know, that had the boob hanging out and peed on the floor, like she was just standing there when Jay turned that corner in slow motion shot, like, which, I mean, I, I did like that shot, but was, was it just like standing there waiting for her? I, honestly, I didn't think that it really stopped like almost at all. I do feel like that, that's the other thing. Like, I feel like the rules for this thing are just very all over the place. Like they're very inconsistent to me. Um, and you know, I'll get in more into that, especially like with the being shot scenes and stuff later, but uh, all in all, okay. Group of scenes, not a ton happening till, you know, the end of this group, but you know, I do like the character development. Um, the tension is definitely very high for the audience at this point. Um, and I, again, I think this movie does a great job with that. Yeah. Um, I guess in the word, another wrestling reference, only small this time. In the words of Vince McMahon, there are no rules, pal. By God. And that's true. This, it has no rules. I'm so glad you said that, Brian, because I, that's literally what I thought. I'm going to wait so I, I don't jump around. But off the bat here, the scene where she's out of the car and like gets on the ground and someone, that is a brutal scene. Like that's just a very good, like, wow like he just dumps her off and leaves and it's very like you're taken aback because you know the, her friends are on the front you know they're hanging out out front playing cards and she's it's it's like two completely different worlds and they're on the same street 
And it's just very, I love the contrast there. I think it's really well done. Um, I love the police station scene mostly because of the dialogue. It's very unlike the, you know, the, the ones you get in Scream, the ones you get in, in you know, some of you know, some uh, other slasher films, it's very different where she's very upfront and honest. You know, you mentioned her being promiscuous. She says, Hey, this sex was consensual. Like I hooked up with this guy. Um, I think that's very different. And I think there's nothing, you know, it's not something a heroine in a movie should be ashamed of. Like it's just, it's just one of those things that it's always kind of bugged me a little bit. Uh, but you know, that's the, you know, John Carpenter and Deborah Hill always talked about that's something wrong that people took away from, uh, the first Halloween is the version has to make it through. It's like not, not what they were trying to do at all, to be honest. Right. Uh, but it's just kind of funny that it just lingered throughout the genre for so long. And it's kind of nice to see the refresher here. Um, yeah. So this, here's the thing. This is, there's no way they didn't just like, Hey, I really want my movie to have a Halloween classroom scene. Like, it, like, like writing the movie, he had to just be like, I, I gotta have this. I, I finally have the money to make a film. It's gotta be in this film. I'm not gonna lie. A lot of the references are over the top, but you know I'm a Halloween junkie, so I'll allow it. I, I, I'm, I'm not angry at it. It's not the same, but I, I'll allow it. Uh, but, you know, it was a little bit of a refreshing take. You know, this is almost, and it's so weird. I'm glad you – the scene is almost a combination of Halloween 78, but also Nightmare on Elm Street, the original. The way she kind of, like, stands up, and it's very dreamlike, and she's like – you know, everyone's looking at her and she's flipping out in the classroom. Like that's kind of a combination of the two. It's like, you know, the two, they kind of smushed them together and made an oatmeal cream pie of horror movies. And I just, by the way, delicious little Debbie. Um, anyway, but so I like that scene too. So again, this set of scenes kind of has some more levity, a little bit more normalcy in a good way. Then you get this scene with whatever it is peeing on the floor. I mean, I don't know if this is the exorcist or something, but okay. Uh, you made my favorite point that you've made this entire show. It is just standing there. The, throughout the rest of the movie, though, it literally follows. So I'm very confused. And there's another time where, where it kind of breaks the rule later in the film, like Stand, bra- standing on a standing right. on a roof. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's just kind of like, well, wait a minute, what is it like? And so there are no hard and fast rules with it. The director has kind of talked about that in interviews where there really are no rules, whether, you know, they try to establish rules up front with Jeff or huge, as I like to call him, um, they try to establish rules, but then those rules really aren't the rules. And so again, like Vince McMahon said about the XFL, there are no rules, pal. Uh, so again, I like to set the scenes until we get to that. And that kind of was a little funky, uh, but again, shot really well. I love that that shot that they get. I just wish there was a little bit more of a hard and fast rule. Again, I feel like I feel like at that point I'm looking for stuff, but I do like continuity in my film, and that kind of breaks it up a little bit. So, not a bad set of scenes by any means, though. All right, she lets him in the room and she paces around. She says she needs water. She tells him about the girl in the kitchen. Another knock at the door, and Paul grabs a broom, but it's just Yara. They open the door and we see a giant man behind Yara. And Jay freaks out, obviously. She climbs out the window and she takes off on a bike as Greg and another lady watch her ride off. Jay stops at a local playground and sits on a swing. She looks around cautiously as she swings gently. She sees people walking towards her, but it's just Paul, Kelly, and Yara. 
She hugs Kelly and tells her she's scared. They ask what she's running from, and he asks if they see that, and she asks if she sees that person, but it's just Greg. Paul tells them someone broke in the house, and Jay doesn't want to go home. She says she needs to find Jeff. Greg leaves to go get his car. They drive through Detroit and get to Jeff's house, and I wrote, it's a dump. They break in and scope the place out. He's got newspaper on the windows and like bottles and cans attached for you know noise to let him know if someone's trying to break in. Kelly jump scares Jay when the wall in the closet collapses. Paul goes upstairs into his sleeping area, and Greg checks out Yara on the on the counter. Paul finds Jeff's porn and dirty Kleenex collection beside the bed, and he just sits right beside it disgustingly. What's Paul? What's wrong with you? Paul finds a picture of Jeff with another girl. With a Letterman Why jacket that on. Away? Golly, I never it's understood nasty. that. Garbage can like right there. That's just nasty. Whether you're using it for your smeat, whether you're using it for your nose or your hose, it really doesn't matter. It, it, it's disgusting. <laughs> it's disgusting. They they see the picture with they with Jeff with another girl with a Letterman jacket on as Lawson High School. They go to Lawson High School to find out his real name. Greg and Jay go to the office of the school as we get this revolving shot through the hall. They find his name in a yearbook. The two get in the car with the other three, and Greg rubs her shoulder, which upsets Paul. They drive off as we see someone approaching the car, but she's not really acknowledged. They're at Jeff's parents' house now, and Jay asks his mom if Jeff is home. (laughs) And I wrote, she lets a group of complete strangers into her home. Jeff tells them what's going on. All you can do is pass it along to someone else. She's a girl. It'll be easy to pass off. Greg doesn't believe it. Jay is playing with grass, and Jeff asks what if they see that and Jeff asks if they see that girl as he's in a panic. He tells Jay, wherever you are, it's walking towards you. Drive somewhere and buy yourself some time. All right, go ahead, Brian. That's the next two scenes I got. Um, yeah, I love that shot of the tall it, you know, just kind of sliding behind Yara. Um, that music prompt I thought was great. Um, just a little fun fact, Mike Lanier, who played the uh, very tall it, uh, is a seven seven Detroit resident, seven foot seven inch Detroit resident who designs engines for General Motors and is one half of the world's tallest twins. So just a little fun fact there. Um, But right after that, you know, you get another take on a chase sequence. (laughs) I love the choice of shot by Mitchell here where Greg's just like smoking in the car. But but you see like everything happening, you know, behind them again, you know, something you would normally be focused on in another horror movie it's kind of in the background of this and i really i really love that i can't say that enough um i will say i half expected it to kind of pop around on a bicycle and chase her but but then again i I realized that we've probably done too many horror comedies lately and that's probably not going to happen in this one um i love the paranoia uh the tension that it builds up in the playground you know how it slowly shows you like each side of her kind of like your checking her peripherals you know i was i was gonna get pissed if it showed up here because i was like she just fucking rode her bike a long ass ways if it's walking up and caught up already fuck that so i'm i'm glad that they did not make that choice their props for that because i was i was ready to get pissed um you know exploring the house i think that went on a little too long for me that could have definitely cut along a lot of that paul finding the magazines you know with the use come on that's disgusting we, we that's nasty i mean you can't you can't find a different way for them to have the picture without having, you know, to touch jizz tissues. I don't know. It's gross. Um, anyway, w- once they got into school and you get that, man, you get that awesome, like 360, just one shot over and over again. If it's cut in there, you can't tell. They did a great job. And you, uh, I love those, honestly. And you don't, 
you don't even need to hear that conversation that they're having with the library and whoever they're having with the school. Like, you know what's going on. You're a smart audience. And finally, a director respects you. So, you know, it's just it's so unique and, and it continues to just further emphasize, like always looking around, always on a on, on a pivot, you know, always keeping an eye out, even when when the actors or actresses aren't um, the circle scene. OK, so I don't know. This rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, it seemed like just so out of sorts. Like, how did they all decide to go outside and sit in a circle? Because, I mean, if you're if you're a friends, this asshole basically raped and really hurt your friend, sister or you know, friend slash sister. Um, you know, the, the animosity would be just off the charts. Plus, like, how did the first time go with Jay seeing Hugh Jeff again? You know, how, how did we get to this point where we're all suddenly just cool enough with Hugh Jeff that we're like letting him sit in the circle and even give us this exposition dump? I mean, it's like it's almost like the ring last week where, where she just let her boyfriend watch the video and already thinking it was a killer video. Just like, man, fuck you. Like he knew he literally just handed her a death sentence. Like, give me something. Give her, give me like her being pissed. Give me one of her friends punching him, being his ass for her. I don't know, something. It just seemed really bizarre. Um, anyway, this fun fact here, this scene where Jay is like lining up those blades of glass on her upper leg. Um, later, when she inspects herself after it at the end has kind of grabbed her under the water in that public pool. She finds exactly five marks on her leg just like that. So it was a nice little callback, um, I thought. So anyway, go ahead, Mike. Yeah. Uh, you touched on a lot there. First of all, you made my favorite – you already made one of my favorite points, but you're making another one here. There's some inconsistency with how – and I, I kind of touched on it already. How are we supposed to take Hugif? Because – we we're supposed to see him as a bad guy, but it doesn't really feel like this group of friends is treating him as such. And that's kind of what I take away from this set of scenes, you know, going on, going through this elaborate way to find his house, <laughs> you know, they drove, yeah, you know, they went to the house, they inspect his house or a house. I don't know. It's disgusting. It's, I don't know. You know, I kind of mentioned hose or nose. We kind of know it's for the hose. That's disgusting. Uh, whatever. To, to, to each their own, but to just leave it there is not something. Like, in a movie, in a, in a show where we saw a movie where, where a woman got split in half via regular saw, not chainsaw, regular saw. That was not as gross as that. That's not what you do. <laughs> um, so, again, just something that makes me go, ooh, that's gross. Uh, yeah. Clean your stuff up, gentlemen. That's all I'm going to say. Um, but, yeah. You are right, though, went a little long, especially because wasn't there. Not there. Why are we spending so much time? Like, and then you, I, I too, I have it right here. I love that 360 spin. Whatever they did to make that work doesn't matter. Yeah. If there was a million little cuts, it, it, it wouldn't matter. It's done so well. The shot is amazing. Uh, you, And, again, it, it, it does create a sense of, I have to look over my shoulder at all times, not just over my shoulder, to the left, to the right, to the front, to the back, to the side, cha-cha, real smooth. Uh, but no, I mean, sorry, I, I had to do it. I had to do it. I'm sure everyone 40 and up will appreciate. Um, but no, I, I, I'm sorry. Wow. wow. Sorry, Brian. 
Sorry, Brian. I, I'm, I'm sure not Nico. Even 40. I'm not even 40 yet. My 40. I'm, I'm sure. Man. Nico, I, I feel like Nico's <laughs> gone out line dancing before, and the shots I saw him on, he had no choice but to do it anyway. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I, uh, yeah. So we get to see where they're, you know, they get to his mom's house, which, again, weird tie-in stuff going on here. Uh, but you get to mom's house. She's like, she's like the grandma from from Bad Santa. Oh, let me fix you some sandwiches. You know, she gives them like a cola and some other crap, and it's just all hunky dory. And I'm like, no, man, it, you, your son may not have raped this woman, but he knew. See, this is where some of the subtext starts to come in, where it's where it's kind of hitting on STDs, sexually transmitted diseases. You know, this is technically a sexually transmitted demon. I think I call, I saw it called on, so still an STD, uh, <laughs> I, which I think is clever. Uh, it, it's it, it's a clever metaphor to get the message like about it, it out there, uh, because a lot of people have sex knowing they have an STD and they willingly give it to a partner of theirs, and that's not okay. And neither is giving a demon to somebody when you know. And so again, it's just kind of one of those. It may not be rape, but it's assault. Just by having that, knowing that, and doing it, it's still wrong. So we should really hate Hugh Jeff. But they don't. So what are we supposed to Like, it's very weird the way they convey that. Um, I tell you one thing I did like about this scene, though, and it's my last thing about that, is when the girl in the soccer shorts is – she looks like a soccer player, so I'm just making assumptions here. When she's walking in the grass, they play the music. They – they kind of like change the lighting just a little bit to where it looks like it could be it. And it's just a normal girl walking through like that is a good fake out. If you're ever going to do a fake out, which I'm normally not a fan of, that was a good one. Cause he's like, do you see that girl right there? Really well acted. And everyone goes, yeah. Oh, okay. 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 You know, my bad man. But again, just, um, this, this season starts to get a little bumpy, a little confusing. Uh, not, not in a bad way and more of a, a, Midsummer hereditary witch or the bitch or whatever you want to call it way where it's like what's what's going on here like we get the ultimate premise that it is a thing and it follows you given the title haha but like there's way more going on here that's just so bizarre and uh this is kind of the set of scenes where it starts to really kind of take a bumpy ride not not in a bad way but it just does no, before I go on, I just want to say I agree with you, Mike. I really like the uh, Jeff, the fa- the false freakout, because I think him, I think Jeff and uh, Jay, they do such a great job of just God. You got this forever paranoia you have to live with. It right. seems like, yeah. and I love seeing the paranoia on him because he he's more scared than Jay is. And it's not even following him right now. <laughs> right, right, uh, and, and yeah, and I love the the direction to go back and forth between their. Their POV and the French POV, where they don't see anything. I I love. I yeah, think in this too. movie, I in this movie they execute it so well that flawless switch back and forth, back and forth between what what Jay sees and what the friends see. I think it's really, really, really well done. Me too. Oh yeah. The group drives off, and Kelly asks Greg if his mom is going to freak out. She won't know. He says. Kelly asks Jay if she's thought about passing passing it on as Paul listens on. They arrived at Greg's family getaway home. Paul watches on as Jay and Kelly sleep. Next day, we see Greg walking down to his shed on the beach, and he gets a gun out of like a latch box and shows Jay how to shoot at a target range. 
Greg says he should be nicer to her as she bullseyes a cereal box. They're sitting on the beach now, and we see someone walking in the distance. Greg walks off to pee, and all of a sudden we see Jay's hair like being pulled up. She's now snatched out of the chair. Paul hits it with the chair. They take off running into the shed. Jay grabs the gun, and Paul sees this... <laughs> And Paul sees the sounds he has from being hit by the entity, or he, he sees the wounds, I'm sorry. He sees the wounds he has from being hit by the entity. Jay shoots horribly at the entity and hits her in the neck as it falls over, but it springs right back up. They lock the door, but hear constant knocks, and then the bottom of the door is blown out. Greg asks what they did, and or what they did, and nothing is out here. Then I wrote, Jay stupidly crawls towards the door where the hole is now. And we see this little boy jump in front of her and Jay runs out now being pursued by a girl in a gown. Jay jumps into the car and drives away being chased by everyone. She speeds down the road and swerves and crashes into a cornfield to miss a truck backing out of a driveway. Jay is back in the hospital now with a head wound and a cast on her arm. Jay looks on in fear and the camera stays on Greg. It cuts to like the night shift at the hospital and we see Greg crawl into the bed with Jay. The two have sex so she can pass it on to him. We see Greg now at a table with several girls and and, back, and he's back in the hospital with Jay now just visiting her as Paul looks. I wrote Paul looks hurt now and I wrote down bad, huh, Paul? Jay asks if he's seen anything, but he hasn't yet. He says he believes her. Jay is back in the above ground pool and she goes back in the house now. Greg walks over and asks the three, how's Jay doing? Paul asks if he's seen anything. They tell Greg she's just been hiding in her room and she'll have him call him later. They can't believe he hasn't seen something yet and Paul tells of what happened to him and I wrote Greg's not a believer and he leaves. And the next two scenes are ending. What do you think, Brian? Uh, hey, Brian, before you go, small small sidebar discussion between the three of us. Let's just like kind of round table it real quick. Do they have sex there? Because I didn't take it that Like I took it. Yeah, it, I definitely. It was they, shot they like a dream. To. God, it was shot like a dream, though. The way they cut it was so the way I it think was she edited, just wanted. I think she wanted to just pass it on to him. Yeah, God, it's it just seemed, so. Yeah, it was definitely weird how how it all happened. It, but it yeah, not, they definitely had sex. It to me, it almost felt like not consensual because I mean, you don't see the the scene where she's like, "Hey, let's have sex," like you kind of get earlier, like just kind of crawls in the bed with her. And again, maybe that's ambiguous on purpose. I don't know, but like. I just thought it was very strange the way they decided to cut that together. But sorry, sorry, go ahead. No, well, no well, she, I, says, I, she says in the next couple scenes, like like he wasn't a believer and he was strong or something like that. So I think she just was like, screw it, I'm going to pass it on to Greg. <laughs> fair enough. I feel you there. Yeah, well I, I, well, I wrote the same thing. I mean, I didn't understand how it even happened. I mean, because it wasn't established at all. And yes, like later on they talk about like, well, yeah, I had sex with him in high school, so it wasn't a big deal. But like at this point, I'm just like, what the fuck is even going on here? And how is like, how is she just okay with passing it on? And uh, you know, I don't know. Like, I wanted it to at least you know show her being maybe at least a little bit hesitant, <laughs> like the least bit hesitant, and maybe you know, Greg talk her into it and say, you know, he doesn't believe it, but he'll take it for her or something. You know, I don't know. Just it just seems out of. I wrote this too. I, it seemed like out of character for the like the whole established relationship that we have to this point here. You know, that's it seems right. like something Paul. It seems like something Paul would do for her, right? Not right. not Greg. So I don't know. It just it didn't work for me at all. So 
Plus, like, plus there was that whole awkward shot of her just like staring off into space while Greg's yeah. just going to pound, going to pound town. Like, I just it almost like insinuates that they had that talk at some point, you know, but it didn't show them. And it just I don't know. It's just it's so it was so weird. Um, I don't know. Very bizarre. Um, anyway, uh, the car scene at the very beginning with them driving up to the cabin. Um, I, I liked it right up. And to the part where like Kelly says, what she say? Have you thought about like what he said and passing it on? Like to me, like that alludes to the fact that, okay, she believes her and I almost think that they've bought into it. All this shit, like a little too easily at this point. Like now when shit starts happening, like I get it. But to me at like this point, it's bought in to me just way too easily. Like you can still be your friend and be supportive and go along with all this, like for the adventure, camaraderie, whatever. But to like really believe it at this point is a little bit crazy to me. Um, and now the shots of like the car driving in the woods, all that could have been cut. Like that drug on a lot to me. Uh, there's a lot of wasted shots, like showing Greg going to get the gun. Okay. But like showing every single step that it took for him to get there. Like, you know, I don't, again, I mean, it almost like lulls you you know, to a sense of security until they do get on the beach. Like, and you can see over her shoulder, that lady walking through the woods and it's not some crazy, ugly woman. So you're not sure, like, is that one of the kids? Like it hasn't shown me all of the kids yet. And then you kind of get one in, in the ocean and you kind of start to counting and you're like, Oh, wait a second. Shit. That like, that might be an it. Um, you know, then you kind of see her hair come up, but just from Kelly's point of view with nobody there, I'm fucking loved that shot. I thought it was great. <clears throat> I will say, that Paul, I felt like, got up a little bit too easily from that massive kick to the ribs. Like, he went about 10 yards and just got right back up. You know, that was almost Marvel superhero to me there. Um, but again, you know, the rules of this thing. This was one of the parts I was talking about earlier. Because here in this set of scenes, like, it's established that, okay, a gunshot is going to just temporarily subdue it. Like, really, you know, I mean, hold on to that for later because that changes. But, uh. But then you just, but then like Jay, she just drives off, left them. Like they were running after the car, like just stop and let them in real fast. And you avoid this whole entire children of the corn fucking wrecking into the, into the farm here where like, it's just bizarre to me because like, she's not that far away from it, like at all. It's still pursuing her right there at that point. How did she get to the hospital? How did all that happen so quick that it didn't get her? I mean, like, plus what the hell happened in that wreck? Like she wasn't even barely going fast and she just stopped real quick in the corn, but suddenly she broke her hand and it knocked her out. <clears throat> and like the whole hospital scene, like I'm just thinking about all of this stuff during this hospital scene. So none of that tension where it's showing the people in the hospital, none of that really like did anything for me or hit me because, you know, I, honestly I was just completely just distracted by that. Um, you know, and then we get the whole Greg fucking Jay just just out of the blue part, which we discussed. Um, well, my biggest part of this was she said it had been like three days and that thing didn't catch up to them by at least like or at least a one of them by that point. Because I think Greg and, and Jay just said that we were talking about it. And have you seen it yet? You know, afterwards. And he said no. And said something about it being three days. Like what? It had, when does it take three days to get them in any other part of this movie? So, and they were definitely not that far away. Oh, it didn't seem like that anyway. Maybe I'm, 
maybe I'm off on the geography and maybe I'm supposed to be. So, but uh, anyway, go ahead, Mike. Yeah. So the, the thing you just touched on to me is the thing where it really hits on it being a metaphor for the dangers of sexual activity, quite frankly, because it, it, it doesn't have rules. It follow like having that, having that in the back, like, you know, maybe not, or ha- having sex with someone you regret or, you know, one of those things, you know, catches, like that's in the back of your mind and you only think about it sometimes. So sometimes it catches up with you. Sometimes it doesn't catch up with you. That whole metaphor is definitely there. Uh, so I think that's what that is. Now, it, there's some inconsistencies that you, you know, if you're just taking it on face value, it, it's, it's kind of annoying. But when you think about what it's a metaphor for, it makes a little more sense. Um, but yeah, so I really like this set of scenes for a couple reasons. Uh, I love that scene at the beach or the lake or whatever it is. I think that scene is done the way they're all just kind of awkward, drinking beer, laying around, looking at each other, staring at each other. And quite frankly, when the run friend rolls up on the tube, I thought it was before she said anything, I thought it was it. Like I'm like, that's cool. That's different. Now it can fucking swim too, huh? Now it's like, on a fucking tube. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> like I kept thinking that, and I'm like, that's unique. Uh, but I, I think that scene is so. That is a very good suspense scene, like a very good thriller horror scene where they just use the tension of the quiet, and then all of a sudden it jerks her up by the hair, and I think that's so. You finally. The way they reveal, like the way that the friends finally realize, oh, she's not kidding. This isn't in her head. We just saw her get jerked around by her hair from no one, and I think that's that's a really good reveal there. I love the scene in the shed or the shack or the you know whatever the barn, whatever the hell that thing is. I love that because again, good POVs where you see what she sees and the friends see nothing. But it plays into the suspense. Like it's so, there's this invisible force that not everyone in this room can see, but it's coming after us. And it's very well done. I just love that scene. I love Greg on the outside, not believing it. You know, all the knocking is very suspenseful. It's not done like uh, Knock Knock, the movie that we reviewed, which was unfortunate for all of us. Um, Free pizza, though. I, (laughs) you know, just a (laughs) free fucking pizza. You sucked my dick. <laughs> or whatever he's Dude, I don't even remember that movie anymore. I just remember that was hilarious to me. So, yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, after that, the hospital stuff, you touched on it. You know, we touched on the sex thing. That's fine. But I think we kind of settled that. But that long arching shot where it's just the different hospital rooms, you touched on it. I literally wrote, what the fuck was that? It was very misplaced to me and I don't know if it's because it I could tell and this is just me seeing enough movies in my lifetime that wasn't a hospital that they filmed that there's no way that they're just random rooms that they made look like hospital rooms like there's like shelving in the bag that just doesn't really fit like and so that kind of took me out of it a little bit it killed the it killed my suspense instead of doing the opposite uh now again I'll give them an A for trying (laughs) Um, I'll give them that. I, but it it didn't do anything for me personally. All this stuff at the hospital, and even right after, just 
some of the dialogue feels a little bit out of place. Uh, you know, we, we, we kind of touched on Paul and he's, you know, thinking about giving it, you know, all that stuff is just kind of, kind of weird dialogue, but I still love the set of scenes for that one scene at the beach, lake, whatever. I just think it's so well shot, acted all around. I think everyone plays their part super well. Um, you know, I do like, I do like that she has one like super caring friend, um, that you don't really get a lot in slashers. Like a lot of times, well, you kind of, I mean, it always ends up in the friends being catty towards each other. Like even, you know, the original Linda from 78 Halloween's kind of like, you know, Oh, whatever. You don't have a boyfriend. You're a loser. Like, you know, like that kind of stuff. Like, no, this, like at least she has a friend that genuinely cares about her. Like, you know, when Nancy's going through it in 1984, Nightmare on Elm Street, no one believes her. You know, here you have some people that are actually behind her, backing her up, want to help her. And so I think that's kind of unique as well. So uh, I like the set of scenes. But again, there's there's some inconsistencies if you take this movie on its face value. But if you use the metaphor, which I kind of touched on, was just if this is a metaphor for the dangers of sex, you know, sexual promiscuity or whatever, if that's what it is, I see some of the inconsistencies in it. Because it only creeps up on you sometimes. That kind of makes sense to me a little bit more. So I, I'm willing to forgive it a little bit. But if I'm just watching this as like a monster flick, forget that. That uh, I mean, that goes out the window. But I, I like the set of scenes. All right, the next two scenes are the ending. That night, Jay stares out the window and sees a man who looks like Greg in white pajamas walking into his yard. He tries to break in through the door but then he uses a brick to smash a window. Jay realizes what's up and tries to call Greg. The man jumps into the house and Jay runs over. She beats on the door and jumps through the same window. She runs upstairs and see a woman beating on Greg's door. Greg, st- Greg thinks it's his mom and the woman jumps on him. Jay walks in and sees the woman grinding him and he's dead now. Jay runs out and gets into her car and drives away as she sees a man following after her. She cries in her car and she stops in the woods she lays on the hood of her car and falls asleep. And I wrote, what the fuck are you doing? Just asking for death. She she walk, she wakes up the next morning and walks down to the beach. She, un, she undresses to like her undies and swims out to three guys on a boat. And I wrote, presumably, presumably to pass off the entity. She's back home and we see the above, we see the above ground pool is destroyed. Jay is asleep on the floor at home and hears Paul knock on the door. She lets him in the room and they start to talk. She says it'll be here sooner or later, and Paul says you can pass it on. He volunteers his services and asks why she picked Greg. She says she thought he'd be okay. He wasn't scared, and they've slept together in high school. Paul holds her hand and gets shot down for a kiss. I want to help, he says. Jay looks out the window again, and Paul gets an ID when he sees a picture of her in the pool. He asks if they remember where they were the first time they kissed. They load up in the car and head to the pool. They back out the driveway and Jay sees that a naked man was on their roof. It's back after her. The four walk towards the pool as Yara yaps away. I don't know if y'all can tell, but I'm not a big fan of Yara. She kind of gets on my nerves. They're all sitting around the pool just waiting. Then we see them plug up hair dryers, extension cords, lamps, a bunch of different electrical devices to prepare. Jay gets into the pool and waits on the entity to arrive. The entity arrives finally in the form of Jay and Kelly's deceased father. She points her finger at it. It's just standing there, staring at her. 
She tells Paul she won't she wants to get out. The entity now throws items into the pool, but it's not working to electrocute her. Jay is dazed in the pool from being hit by the items. Paul gets a gun and shoots Yara by accident in the leg. Paul shoots the entity to no effect as blood splatters on the wall. Kelly throws a sheet over it, and Paul shoots it again, and he falls into the water. The entity grabs her by the leg, and Paul shoots at it underwater. And I wrote, which I think Mythbusters disproved being able to shoot like that underwater. I don't know. I'm not sure. They see hand bruises on, like, hand-like marks on her ankles as they ask if she still sees it down there in the pool. She crawls to the edge of the pool and sees it filling with blood. Back at the house, Jay and Paul have sex now. He asks her if she feels any different, and she asks him the same. Paul drives by several prostitutes and gives them the double eye. They check on Yara at the hospital as she reads off her little clamshell thing. Now we see Jay and Paul holding hands walking the sidewalk of the neighborhood, and we see a person behind them following, and the film ends with a title card and the score. All right, Brian, what would you think about the ending? So... I actually don't really care for this group of scenes, but it's not for the reason that you probably think, honestly. Um, okay, so I love the Greg scene right up to the point where it gets him. Uh, what the fuck happened? Like, so it, it dry humped him to death? Like, why is that the way that it killed him? Dude, dude that's your mom. <laughs> oh, what, not stiff. What's the not Stifler's mom that? either. That's hey, not Stifler's mom either. Well, hold on. Now. She wasn't. I mean, go with some time. But <laughs> I, I'm just saying, not if she's my mom, though. That's gross. What I'm saying is, what's the metaphor there? Am I supposed to believe there's some kind of abuse in the whole? Like, oh. I, I, I'm very. That's the one scene I'm just. I don't know. I'm the. I'm you guys last week with some scenes in the ring. I don't know what the fuck is happening here. Uh, yeah, and I don't have. Right, I'm not. Right. I'm not you like in the rings. I don't have a fucking explanation because I don't. I don't know why it killed him that way. But then we saw like Annie's leg just bent in half. Like, why did he get dry humped by his mom? I don't. Man, I don't get that at all. Um. Anyway, moving on. Uh, I, I do like her. You know how she just kind of sits back and then kind of sleeping on her car hood. You know, threw her out in the woods. That's definitely a callback I noticed at the beginning where uh, where Yara is like reading that story in the porch and says that quote where it says something like one must feel a great longing to sit down and wait, uh, come what may, uh, which seems to be the point that she's at right here. So I really did like that. I caught that callback on the second or third watch. But um, the three guys in the boat scene, come on, just just cut that shit like you don't need that at all. Like, I know it's left ambiguous on purpose and there's debate on if she had sex with those three guys on the boat or not. But I mean, what's the point anyway? Like either she did fuck them and it caught back up to her fairly quickly or she didn't and it caught back up fairly quickly. So I guess it like, I don't really get the point of that whatsoever. And I don't think it even should be in here, honestly. Like, plus like, did she get her cast wet? Because I mean, that's a big cast. No, no. I don't know if you've ever had a cast, but you don't go get it wet like that. So, I mean, didn't you know that? Did you not listen to the doctor here? It's not the first time, by the way. Um, anyway, Paul, Paul has to, uh, Paul has got to read the room here. You know, when he gets it, when he gets into that room, you know, trying to kiss her, come on. Like, and what was your plan? Have sex with her right there on the floor with her sister and friend to sleep? Uh, no, no, you got to read the room, Paul. Um, more questions. Another one I have is like, you know, old dude said that it was slow, but it's not dumb. Right. So why was it on the damn roof when they were leaving? Like it just, had to take the time to get on the roof 
Like, why didn't it just get her, you know, ground level like it does every other time? Like, did we just want a shot of old man balls on the roof for shits and giggles? Like, it, it just, it makes no sense to me whatsoever to be in there. Um, also, all right, so the pool ending. Uh, this is the part where, like, you probably think I hate, but I really don't. Like, first of all, I think it's it's fucking hilarious that it just started throwing the shit in at her. But <laughs> that, that made me laugh. Like, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> that didn't work. But, uh, but it, it, you know, I don't have it because of like what the doctor said. I, I don't hate it. I mean, because of what the director said about it. Like when asked about it by Vulture, David Robert Mitchell insinuated that they're just kids trying to find a way to defeat the threat in their own way. Like he explains, like, it's the stupidest plan ever. Yeah, it's a kid movie plan. You know, it's something that Scooby-Doo and the gang might think of. And that was sort of the point. Like, what would you do? If you were confronted by a monster and found yourself trapped within, you know, this nightmare, like ultimately you would have to resort to some way of fighting it that's accessible to you in this whole physical world at whatever age you are, you know, and that's and that's not really going to cut it. So I get that, you know, I, you know, but I like that explanation, actually. So um, what I didn't really get, though, is like you shoot it in the head point blank. That basically does nothing. But then you get it in the pool with the Mythbuster shot. And that was the that was the the kill shot. Like obviously it wasn't, but like uh, it bled out. Like I don't even know, but you know, like like Johnny Depp's bed scene in Nightmare on Elm Street, and then and then you get this really awkward sex scene with Paul. And you know, I mean, I get it. Like they wanted to pass it on, but it just seemed really bizarre. And my Paul, my man, you're gonna catch something worse than fucking it follows and soap can't wash off from those hookers. Like I'm just saying you better, you better better rubber up with that. Um, now with all that said, I, I do like the very last shot with them walking, um, you know, and kind of seeing what could be a person or what could be it following them. Um, all in all, I think there was a lot of miss more than hit on, on the ending here for me. <sighs> okay. My biggest gripe here. <laughs> This ending, this is, uh, it's frustrating because I feel like they did such a good job of building anticipation to this ending to see how it was going to all wrap up. And it's a, it's, it's not a wet fart in turn. It's not that bad, uh, but it's, it's not, it's not good either. Um, I Half, the, half of me thinks they just shot that scene so they could get the cool visual with the blood in the pool. Like, I, I like that's kind of how that feels, like just that artsy look. And that's fine. It's a cool shot. It's a cool visual. But some of the stuff beforehand where it is throwing the appliances and, like, that's – there's some, some tension and suspense there. I just think there's another way to, to find this entity and take care of it. And I don't know, it's just not very satisfying. You, you don't really see it go away. Uh, it's just, it's it, it, it's frustrating. Um, now, let's go, you know, I kind of already touched on the scene with Greg. I don't really need to, to you know, beat a dead horse here. Like, she beat him into submission, apparently. But, like, I just, it's a, very, it's a weird death. And the next thing you get is what I would consider a weird ending. Uh, and so you get a lot weird, for lack of a better term, because I, I don't have another word for it. Just a very out of two out of place things, and I don't know if that's in there because it's out of place. And you, what this thing is capable of doing anything. Like I understand that, 
But that's not a good visual. Could have gone my whole life without seeing some some pseudo incest, as Dead Meat James called it. That's because it's not. I mean, it's not real. It's not real pseudo incest, or it's it's not real incest. But I mean, she's kind of taken over by a demon or an entity or whatever this thing is. And so you know, a little funky. Not my thing. Uh, but it's your thing. Um, yeah. So again, just not a not a big fan of incest in my horror movies. It's not 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 my cup of tea. Again, I, I don't know what the metaphor is. Uh, I I guess it went over my head, and I'm a big dumb dumb pop. So I'll, I'll I'm willing to I'm willing to hold that L right there. Uh, I, I kind of already touched on the end. Just a lot for it's a lot of bang bang for a little buck. And I don't feel like it's very – it just doesn't wrap it up in a bow, and I know that's probably the point. And so if that's something that's your cup of tea, good. Uh, I just think the ending kind of made me fall a little flat. Um, I like the symbolism of Paul and her walking down the street holding hands. I think, you know, with somebody following them, but we don't know if it's it or if it's not. And I think that's a good shot. I love that ending, that closing, um, you know. I, a lot of people don't like when movies end like that, but that doesn't bother me. I think it kind of wrapped everything up a little bit better. So I'm glad they didn't end on the pool. Uh, I'm glad they ended on the shot they did, but uh, to get there was a—it's just a bumpy road. I—I I, I wasn't a big fan. No, I'm with you. I like—I like the ending, but if it would have ended at the pool, not that would have been a terrible ending. Uh, let's jump into. Y'all got any more final thoughts? We jump to a few fan questions. All right, the first question we got is from Michelle Merza, one of our super fans. Big shout out to Michelle. She wrote, great movie. If you guys had to take a guess, what do you think it is, and can it ever be stopped? I'm just going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to get real deep and philosophical. I'm going to compare it to just a bad decision in your life. No matter what you do, you can't really escape it. Yeah. And even if you do think you escape it, eventually it'll come back up to you. That's just my uh, my deep philosophical Aristotle kind of uh, reach. Y'all got any thoughts on that? I think that's exactly what it is, whether that be, you know, like this movie kind of touches on the dangers of sex. I mentioned it a million times. Uh, I think it's a metaphor for whatever you want to use it for. Any dark cloud in your life that kind of hangs over your head, whether that be bad decision, depression, stress, it can get, it can follow you at any time, anywhere. And I do think that's the metaphor here. So, some of the nitpicking we did feels a little unfair because I get the message. But again, if we're just viewing it as like a monster flick, kind of like Bird Box, where you don't see what everyone's freaking out over in Bird Box, but it's there. You know, you don't see it, but it's there. And it just, I kind of feel like it. it's not that movie. It's a much deeper movie. You know, you kind of mentioned it, Nico. I, I agree with you. I think uh, I think it's a symbolism for uh, the IRS because you can't ever <laughs> escape them. They're slowly always going to fucking come after you for those taxes. True. Uh, True. No, no. Uh, I actually, I always, I actually took it as a kind of like a symbolism for death. Um, you know, kind of it's inevitable. Um, it's like slowly always creeping up at you. You know, in some points it gets you, and sometimes you know it's further away. So that's just kind of what I took it as, kind of a symbolism of death or whatever. Hey, Nico, I have another answer, uh, and some people will get this and listen, and some people won't. Uh, I think it's a metaphor for for 2012 North Carolina state loss for Florida State. It, it's it's always creeping up on me. It never leaves. Uh, it's And it's never going away. The pain is never going away. It's never dying. The anger never subsides. 
talking about it kind of makes me pissed. You know, third, <laughs> third and third and four, and we run a sweep to Kelvin Benjamin. Okay, sorry, go ahead. I gotta admit, Brian, the IRS was one of the most washed dad answers I've ever heard, but I appreciate it. <laughs> You're, I was thinking it too. I was thinking it too. I was like, that's such a dad answer. Damn it. Sorry, sorry. It's fucking. But you're not wrong. Fucking tax time. I gotta pay my you're taxes. I got two dependents. I got a house. What am I supposed <laughs> to claim on this thing? <laughs> uh, we got a. This was just a comment, not a question, from Dylan Ginther on Instagram. Uh, such a gem. The cast and crew gave their all on a fresh take on horror, and I have nothing but applause for them. I agree with that. Yeah, uh, I agree with that. Yeah, I agree with that. Rachel, or it might be Rochelle Mack on Instagram. She quote, uh, she said, "I love this movie. The tone is so eerie, which just adds to the tension." Do you guys think you could outsmart ent- an entity that follows you everywhere? And she said, "I wonder what would happen if you hopped on a plane or something." Uh, just from what I know from this movie, it's going to follow you regardless. Uh, yeah, I don't know where this thing originated from or, I mean, apparently it can climb on roofs. No big, I mean, I'm sure it can just cross an ocean. No biggie too. No big deal. <laughs> but, uh, no, I don't think I get outsmarted because I, I get really sleepy and I'm going to sleep. So I'll yeah, just make well, sure I say my prayers at nighttime. Well, David, uh, Robert Mitchell actually said when he was quoted in some interview that neither condom nor same sex gender uh, or same gender sex would stop the monster and the curse would still be passed. The director, David Robert Mitchell, also said that the monster could board a plane in order to follow the cursed person. So that kind of answers that. As far as me outsmarting it, hell no, I'm going to give up at some point and just hang it up. So I'm as I'm, I'm smart as the air and the bag of lace potato chips. I'm not outsmarting that thing. What the fuck? <laughs> There's a lot of air in them in them bag of chips, though. That's uh, my brain. You're welcome. <laughs> the last question we have is uh, from Nan Sanity Official. She wrote, I really enjoy this movie. A lot of people say that the movie is a metaphor for STDs, but I disagree. I feel like it's actually a metaphor for what it's like to be the survivor of sexual assault. This movie is simple in its concept and executes it brilliantly. I can see where you, uh, where you could draw that yeah. metaphor. Yeah. Again, I think this movie is a metaphor, honestly, for whatever you want it to be. Oh, I yeah. really, I really do feel that any any I kind of mentioned it in the first question is any dark cloud that kind of hovers around you. Uh, and I didn't even think about it being a metaphor for sexual assault the entire time. It obviously touches on the themes of that, um, mm-hmm. you know, because regardless of whether she's sexually assaulted, raped or whatever, she's violated by the fact that he willingly gave her this disease or, you know, entity or whatever. So I can understand that the same way I can understand it being about depression or suicidal thoughts or anything like that that just kind of hangs around, I think. Uh, but it, I do think it's, I do think there's maybe not STDs. Maybe I was wrong about that earlier, although I do think that's there clearly because it's transmitted through sex. Yeah. I just, I just think that um, the big overarching theme is, is any dark cloud in your life. I think that's kind of the metaphor that you can use here. Well, let me, let me read you these two quotes. So one's from David Robert Mitchell. He said, basic idea of being followed by something that looked like different people. That was very slow and always kind of came from a recurring nightmare that I had when I was a kid. Later as an adult, I added the sexual aspect of passing this terrible thing on. It came at two different points in my life, but this quote really kind of sums it all up in exactly what Mike was saying. Author Neil Gaiman once said, 
that if someone tells you what a story is about, they're probably right. If they tell you what that that is all a story is about, then they're definitely wrong. So, I mean, it could be like Mike said, pretty much anything you you want it to symbolize: taxes or death or STDs. So there you go. Or 2012 NC State. <laughs> or 20. 2016 North Carolina for me. Anywho, uh, but anywho, let's uh, let's jump into our fun facts. And Brian, actually, that quote you just read from uh, the director was my first one. I was just going to answer the question, but you knocked that out for me. Uh, there's his uh, the time frame of the movie is intentionally kept ambiguous so that it resembles a dream. Some of the cars shown are from more recent times. Many appear to be from the 60s to late 80s. Early CRT television sets have shown whenever the characters are watching movies. Conflicting technology include Yara on a device that looks like a shell compact, but she reads from it like an ebook reader and using it as a light source at one point. Also, the girl from the beginning of the film uses a cell phone and drives a modern automobile with several with several modern vehicles in view. And yeah, I I'm, I, I kind of disagree with you two a little bit. I, I kind of liked how ambiguous it was because I think it was just I I, I could see where he is trying to paint this as just as a dream. But I can definitely understand why you don't like it, though. According to the production company, the film's budget was one point three million and was shot entirely in the state of Michigan for tax advantages. A year after its theatrical release, hope I didn't steal your thunder, Mike. I'm sorry. It grossed over stole. twenty million. Uh, you David son Robert of a Mitchell, bitch. you stole my only, you stole my only part of this whole show. No, I'm stolen valor. David Robert Mitchell has cited the works of George A. Romero and John Carpenter as major influences on his style of filming and creative decision on It Follows, and you can definitely tell. And my last one is Rotten Tomatoes ranked this film as the sixth most praised film in 2015. Brian, you got any fun facts? I don't, I didn't, there's uh, most of those fun facts, you know, you, you read the only thing I wanted to read because it was kind of, I w- I'm not going to get into every single one of them, but it's the list of all of the actual references uh, uh, in this movie. Um, I'll just name what movies they were. Like if you want to find out exactly what the reference was and how it relates to the movie, go to IMDB and, and, and look there. So it's, it's there. Um, but uh, the movies that it, it referenced was The Thing from Another World, 1951, Creature from the Black Lagoon, 54, House That Roared, 59, Charade, 63, uh, Repulsion, 65, Night of the Living Dead, 68, um, Let's Scare Jessica to Death, 71, uh, Carrie, 76, Halloween, 78, Shining, 80, The Thing, 1982, uh, Paris, Texas, 1984, and A Nightmare on Elm Street, 1984. Makes sense. Uh, yeah, so I had the budget and gross, but somebody on this show already said that, by God. Uh, that's okay. Uh, no, but uh, no, I didn't have any fun facts. I did, I mean, I did want to say that I, 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 I hope I didn't misspeak during this show um, because I do get this movie, and I think, I, I think it's really, really unique in what it's trying to do uh i know it's caught a lot of it's caught a lot of praise but it's also caught a lot of flack online um just for maybe being too layered and i don't look i've kind of railed against that before because i do think you can get so obtuse with stuff wow look at my shawshank redemption vocabulary i do think you can get so obtuse with stuff that it starts to not make a whole lot of sense on certain and if you don't make any sense on the surface, 
that you don't even want to make me look deeper, Midsummer, looking at you. Um, but again, this is just such a unique horror movie. Is this movie scary? No. Is it a horror movie? Yes. It's a different kind of horror that we're dealing with here. It's not a man with a knife. It's not a ghost. It's not. It's talking about a lot of deep stuff. And I just kind of wanted to throw that out there because I didn't want to include it in my final thoughts because I, I just, I was just gonna kind of quickly sum up the movie. I thought it was. I don't know. Was I don't know, Mike. Really I think it is. I think it is a man with a knife, and it is a ghost, and it is a mom that humps her son, and it is anything it wants to be, and it's twenty twelve Florida State. Okay, here we go. Let's go. <laughs> All right, who, who, let's jump into our favorite kill, least favorite kill in the rating. Does anybody want to go first tonight? Uh, let me, uh, if you don't mind, I'll read off Brother Dustin's, who will be back with us next week. All right. Sounds good. Okay. He says, it follows. Favorite kill. We didn't have much to go with, so I picked the one that didn't involve the mother loving. <laughs> Plus, Annie's leg being snapped like that was a cool visual. Uh, least favorite kill could have went without seeing Greg's corpse getting ravaged by his mother. <laughs> oh dear God! Uh, final thoughts: It's a clever and original take on the dangers of sex, which is something we kind of touched on here. I love the visuals of the movie, from the lighting to the cinematography to the setting. Uh, the score was phenomenal overall. I like it. We'll definitely watch it again. Rating in eight. Wow, Nico, he liked a movie, Nico picked uh, just so it, do, you can hear it doesn't it. count though he has to be here to like right. it and uh, like it. it's got to be a double whammy oh boy <laughs> uh, just because i'm sure you're not tired of hearing my voice i'll go real quick uh i have the same favorite and least favorite kills because there's only two and one wasn't incest so yeah that sounds pretty good to me um here, you know my, my final thoughts i kind of summed up what i thought about the you know the the deeper meaning of the film uh as far as that goes but just the film itself uh, love the cinematography. I love the score. I love the directing. I think some of the dialogue is a little off, but I'm willing to forgive some of those flaws. Um, is this a movie I enjoy watching? No, no, it's not. It's, it's literally kind of what we talked about last week. It's not a fun watch. It's not a fun movie to sit down and go through, but I do think it has its place in horror. And I appreciate the fact that it got made, uh, on a, you know, a pretty minuscule budget. So, uh, I like the film. I don't love the film because it's just not an enjoyable watch, but I appreciate the filmmakers and the actors and everyone involved and what they did to just do something different and unique. And it, 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 it holds up. And so I give it a seven and I hope that's not low for some people, but the enjoyability factor isn't high for me, but I do think it's a really, really well-made horror film. Well, Jesus, no. given that, given that you, I don't know, I thought you were going to give it like a two or three based on, uh, what you said, what you said last week about it. Well, so I, I want to make I, I want to make it clear. Before last week, I'd seen it one time. So, like you said, it is yeah. a multiple it is a multiple watch thing. So, well, let I'll me go just ahead. go off of that. Real, well, oh, okay, go, go, ahead. go ahead, Brian. Well, I'll, yeah, since this is yours, I'll let you go last. All right. Um. It, uh, so I have kind of already summed it up. So I'm going to make this pretty quickly. Same same kills. Uh, there's like I said, the only two to, to even choose from. Um, I'll say my my this is the biggest flip I've I've had of any movie watching it from the first time to the second time um, or even the third time. So if I had to rate this thing um, on my first watch, I probably would have given it a four, and that's about where I was at. I really didn't care for that movie a whole lot, maybe a three or four. I, I really was like, 
this is the stupidest shit I've ever seen. But then the second watch, I loved it. Like I said, and I don't mean liked it. Like I really loved it. I really, when I really started getting into and seeing all the stuff that, and the metaphors and the paranoia and the awesome shots, uh, I rated this thing an 8.5 actually. Um, and this is the third movie in a row that I've given, uh, an eight or above. So, um, there you go. All right. Uh, my favorite kill was the uh, same as everyone. Annie, I just, I wrote, I think it's a really good opening scene. You can feel her anxiety, and of course, the leg snap is gnarly. Uh, least fave, I bit Greg by default. Uh, rating, really like this movie, and I have since I first saw it back in 2014. A uh, couple of friends, Harlan, uh, shout out to him, and, and my former co-worker Jeff told me about it. Really like the new concept of this, and the fear, anxiety, exhaustion of just being at your wits end, like 24-7. Uh, I think the acting is really good, especially from our lead. Uh, is it Maka Monroe? Something I don't. Yeah, that's. I think so. That's what I said. The cinematography is incredible, and so is the score that goes along with it. I think we've all said that. Uh, some cons I have is the pool scene. What a horrible idea, Paul. And also thought we could have trimmed it up in some spots to cut the runtime down ten minutes or so. Uh, the slasher junkie in me would have also liked to have seen another kill, preferably on screen. But in conclusion, I really like this movie, so I gave it an eight. Brian Jackson went higher than me. Wow! Wow! So yeah. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm yeah. so happy that so, Dustin gave it an eight. <laughs> hey, 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 it doesn't count because it wasn't here, brother. Uh, if a forest falls in a tree and yada, 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 yada. Um, so since he's not here and I read his notes, I guess I will go ahead and give our next review because brother Dustin will be back with us. But since he's not here to announce his pick, uh, uh, Nico, you want to share next month's theme uh, while you're at it? We don't have a theme. We're freestyle picking one more month. Okay, good. So. Glad you said that because now I remember what I pick and it wouldn't have fit with this movie that Dustin picked. Um, so um, next week we're going to be reviewing Sweeney Todd, Demon Barber, which I am sure Nico is excited to review a musical. Bet he can't wait. Never seen it. But no, I'm not well, excited, to be honest. <laughs> but I do really I like understand. Johnny Depp, so I'm going in with, uh, I'm going in with an open mind because I do like Johnny Depp. Fair enough. Uh, also, don't forget, by the end of this month, Listeners, it's finally happening. I'm making Brian Hathaway watch Halloween 2, Rob Zombie, and he. we're going to talk about it on this show for my belated birthday pick. I can't freaking wait. Okay. <laughs> He's just here so he doesn't get fined. Uh, really enjoyed uh, reviewing It Follows tonight. Uh, appreciate you guys uh, joining me. I'm glad I got some pretty good reviews. Uh, y'all got any more final thoughts before we get out of here? No, great film. Definitely go out and watch it twice. Yeah, Nico, thanks for picking a film I actually like. Let's do this again sometime. Oh, yeah. You better you watch it, buddy. Because <laughs> <laughs> I like your next pick, but that Halloween, too. If you rub my feathers wrong, I'm going to rate it low on purpose. I don't care. I'm rating it low. <laughs> We're not reviewing it for that. We're reviewing it for the discussion. Fair enough. Anywho. And because uh, I, I love Brian so much. My man Brian is hurt. He's going to call out sick for that episode. I'm hurt. I'm hurt. Anywho, really appreciate all support. Uh, like and subscribe us on iTunes. Give us a rating. All that good stuff. Follow us on social media. Check us out on YouTube. I'm uploading all of our episodes there if you want to watch them there. Uh, 
Uh, and I'm sure Brian's got something cooked up for us the rest of this week. You never know. Uh, appreciate all the support. Y'all have a good one. Just want to remind everybody. Thank you.